Shabbat Shalom, everyone. We are in part six on a series on Shavuot and Pentecost. Go ahead and bring me down. I'm a little bit hot. Um, so in this series, we've been looking at the armor of God and putting on the full armor of God. And today we're going to talk about the shield of faith. So in coming out of our own personal Egypts of sin and shame, there is a great struggle, if you will, right? The first exodus was in the natural realm of physical deliverance out of Egypt. But the sages told us that whole event really is a type and shadow of the much greater exodus when Messiah comes, when we actually come out of the darkness of this world and into the light of his kingdom. And coming out of the darkness and going into the light, it's a war. It's a struggle. It's not easy. Why? Because the enemy is not going to let you go without a fight. However, God has equipped us for the battle with all the armor we need to win and free ourselves. So today we're going to look into one of those pieces of armor, the shield of faith. Like all the pieces of armor, it is powerful and effective in our spiritual battle against evil in this fallen world that we all live in. So let's pick up the reading in Ephesians chapter 6. This has been our chair passage for the last, what, six, seven weeks. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's look at verse 16. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So what are the flaming arrows of the evil one, right? I mean, back in the ancient world, the arrow was your, one of your great uh, militarized weapons. And, and sticking that in, in like some tar and lighting that and having that on fire and launching that could create a lot of destruction. Just, just, you know, burning down villages or whatever. We've all seen Lord of the Rings and the different, you know, uh, movies that illustrate the power in the ancient world of a flaming arrow. It was, it was a devastating, devastating weapon and, and truly remarkably hard to defend against. Well, in the spirit realm, what would that represent, right? Because obviously the enemy doesn't have literal weapons. And neither do we, because our warfare is in the spiritual realm. So what does this represent? 
What is, the, what is this analogy that Paul is taking and using meant to convey? The enemy is the father of lies. The father of deception, right? And he comes to curse us. In fact, the Hebrew word to curse means to diminish one's value, one's worth. The goal is to take them down, ultimately to destroy them, to snuff out their life. And this is the work of the enemy against us. And he does that through curses. He does that through words that are untrue. He attacks our personhood. He comes against our identity as a child of God. His design is to hurt us, and through that hurt, discourage us, and through that discouragement, to derail us in our faith towards God. Ultimately, he steals our peace and our joy and then seeks our life in the end. So how does the enemy do this? One of the ways he does it is by putting thoughts in your head. You, you know, we, we have tons of thoughts flying through our heads on a daily basis. Do you know that many of the thoughts that we have are not our own thoughts? We might think they're our thoughts, but they're not our thoughts. The enemy has the ability to put thoughts in your head. And what are you going to do with that thought? What are you going to do with that idea? See, if you embrace that thought or that idea and breathe faith into that, if you believe that to be true, it will have an effect on your life. It will ultimately govern your life. Another way he does this is using people around us to speak those words. Sometimes he uses a spouse, a sibling, a parent, a teacher, maybe a coach, people in places of authority over us, people that are close to us. And they speak that curse, and it's devastating. Why? Because those are the people that we look up to. Those are the people that are close to us. And it can be devastating, absolutely devastating. Let me give you an example. I, I was so privileged to have a great and awesome dad. Not a perfect dad. There are no perfect dads. But I had a good dad. But my dad, he came from... Uh, an orphanage. He was adopted when he was about five years old, I think. So he lived his early years in an orphanage, dealing with uh, thoughts of rejection. You know, why did my parents not want me? Why am I here? Why am I unloved? Why do other people have families? All I ever want is to be in a family, you know? So he's got all this stuff. And of course, he grows up in an era where, you know, the world was quite different than what we have. And he had men in his life that he looked up to. Uh, he had some uncles, um, and they were hard on him. And when he was an apprentice working for them, they said some pretty harsh things to him. 
that just kind of fueled all of the rejection that was there. But he overcame that because he knew the Lord. And the beauty of knowing the Lord is the Lord is able to speak to us and encourage us and really lift us out of that, right? But it's a war and it's a struggle. And it's kind of five steps forward and three steps backwards. But my dad was a good dad. He was a good dad. But there was times in which he was tired, uh, frustrated, discouraged, and that would come out in his parenting. And uh, I remember one time as a young man, um, I was trying to do something for my dad. And, uh, you know, you know, how many, you got to be older to get this, but how many people remember Tool Time Tim, the show Tool, Tool Time Tim? It was just a riot. Like, no matter what it was that he had to repair, by the time he got done, it was worse than when he started, you know? And that, that was me. That was me. You know, I, it was like, oh my gosh, er, everything that was broken in our house, I would fix it. It would be more broken by the time I was done. And then when I started, you know, Don was like, don't fix that. You know, just leave it alone. You know, now I got better over the years. I really did. I, 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 I do pretty good now, you know, uh, but I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to, you know, do something for my dad. And, and, uh, I'm really, I'm just, it's just getting worse. You know, it's just, it was horrible. And, uh, my dad said, he says, uh, he was, he was really frustrated. He, he, was, he was angry. and he, he says, you're such a jackass. And, I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that wouldn't hurt if anyone else had said it. But that was my dad, who I look up to, who I love, you know? And, and, and that, that, like, was an arrow that was shot into my heart. And, and you know, the weird thing was is, it hurt more than what it should have hurt. And that was partly due to the fact that I too was adopted. So I already have these insecurities anyway. I already struggle for affirmation and belonging and connectedness anyway. So I think that's why it hurt even more than what it should have. We all have our baggage, right? But man, it took me, it took me a couple of years to get over, over that. And I know, looking back, that my dad didn't really mean that. We often say things we don't mean. How many people have said things you don't really mean? You just, you, you said that rashly in, in a moment of anger, right? But you don't really mean that. Well, that, that took years to sort all that out and, and, and really come to what the Lord was showing me. And that is that my dad had his own baggage. He hurt too. And in this time of his shortcoming, he lashed out at me but he didn't really mean that. Now, I didn't know that. I thought he really meant that. And that, that really hurt. Uh, and then when I look back and I am able to work through that with the Lord, I'm able to realize, no, he didn't really mean that. And I'm able to forgive him and just really move to a place where that memory doesn't hurt anymore. I think about that and there's no pain associated with that anymore. That's called healing, right? So if you, have, if you have memories that whenever you think of them, they really hurt, it's because you're not healed yet. You haven't got the Lord's perspective, his truth concerning that. And so you're stuck in this place of deception with a perspective that's not even true. And that's, why, that's part of why it hurts. But that's the work of the enemy, see? That's what he wants to do. He wants to lie about things concerning you in the past and different different experiences that you've had so sometimes a father or a mother can say to a son or a daughter you're such a loser 
you can't do anything right. Uh, you know, let me, let me share another one. Well, let me, let me state this, state these things. These are things I think we've all heard at different times in our lives, a lot of us. You won't amount to anything. You're stupid. You're so dumb. You're worthless. You're an embarrassment to the family. These kind of statements are flaming arrows from the enemy. That if you don't learn to use a shield of faith, they can take you out. How many people relate to that? Is that true? You know the old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. It's the exact opposite, isn't it? Oh my gosh, a curse can take you out. My brother, when he was in grade school, he was in about, I think, no, I'm sorry, he was in, I think he was in sixth grade, fifth or sixth grade, uh, but he had really struggled in school. He got bad grades all the time. I mean, I'll tell you what, our worst moments in our life, in our family growing up, was when the report cards came out. It's like, oh my gosh, eating dinner. It's always around the, the dinner table that we're going to discuss the report cards. You know, you're just sweating bullets and you're trying to get through it and hoping it'll go to the next sibling because you know their grades are even worse. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, got to be a heat shield for a moment and then deflect it, you know? And so, uh, but he, he, he really struggled and, um, and he had his own issues, but um, the teachers back then, it was just crazy. They all got together, had a little consultation. They said, let's, let's use some reverse psychology on, on, on uh, my brother's name was, well, I'll just say, I'll say, um, but we'll just say his name was James. But anyway, they said, and my brother's deceased, but still, you know, we'll use James. They said, um, you know, let's use some reverse psychology because we can't find any way to motivate him to really step up to the plate. And, and we really want to do this. And he struggled for years. And, and so we're going to use, one of the teachers says, let's use some reverse psychology. And they're like, what, what do you mean? Well, let's just call him out in class. You know, let's just call him stupid. Let, let's, you know, let's use some terms that will actually challenge him. And, and maybe he'll be angry enough that he'll actually find his motivation to, 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 to get in line with his learning. So they called him out in class, and they called him stupid in front of his friends in his class. Yeah, that didn't motivate him. I saw a decline in my brother that was dramatic. It set him back and put him on a trajectory of, it was horrible. It's horrible. I can't even believe that they came up with that, you know? Just, just shocking. I don't think the teachers in any way were trying to hurt him. I think, I think for some reason, in their own rationale, they thought that that might, I, their, their goal was to help him, but they didn't. And I think a lot of times we do things and we hurt people, and we don't mean it. It's not our intent. But we fail to realize how devastating that is. And of course, all of us who have been in those places where we've received some of those arrows, we do a remarkable job of covering that up. Ah, oh, fine, now, that, 
Don't worry about that. That was okay. And it's not. But it tends to let us off the hook from trying to make it right. And I think that all of us can do a better job at realizing that uh, we are called to be a blessing to those around us and not a curse. And what that means is our job is to build people up, to encourage people, to strengthen them, not to diminish them. It doesn't mean that people are not to be held accountable. It doesn't mean that people are not to be uh, uh, disciplined and, and exhorted. Uh, but that's a world of difference. You know, doing that versus a curse. So how do we protect ourselves against the flaming arrows of the enemy? Well, God has given us this remarkable shield called faith. And faith, faith can stop and extinguish a threatening, threatening curse from the enemy in its tracks. And learning how to use the shield of faith, well, that's, that's the game changer, right? Learning how to use that. Because once you learn how to use that, you're able to stop the devastation of the arrows. And they're going to come on purpose or, or just, just through happenstance. But they will come. How many people here have ever been hurt by someone who said something that, that just cut, cut you deep? Raise your hand if you've been like, yeah, that's most of us. And if you didn't raise your hand, just live it a little longer. So what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Stated another way, faith assures us of things we expect and convinces us of the existence of things we cannot see. Keep in mind that faith is a gift from God. He has given to each of us a measure of faith. We all have this remarkable gift already within us. We got to learn how to unpack it. We got to learn how to use it. It's designed to keep us from being overwhelmed by a world that is bent on cursing us. Faith also comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can take that gift, spend time in the word, and grow it up, enlarge it, expand it. Faith is based in and arises out of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Faith is always grounded in truth, arises out of truth, is deployed through truth, and it brings liberty and freedom and healing. So discovering what God says about a matter and trusting in that discovery leads to peace and joy and abundant blessing. No matter what has happened to you in your life, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You don't, you don't need to focus on what happened as much as, Jesus, where were you in that? And even more importantly, what do you say about that? When I ask Jesus, you know, is my dad right? Am I that stupid? Am, am I that messed? Am I like a jackass? Is it true, Lord? Then you hold your breath. But if you know the Lord, you know the answer already, right? 
Of course not. But you let him speak that to you and he'll speak words clearly to you and affirm you. All of a sudden the healing comes and then helps you see the one who hurts you and breaks your heart for them. And then forgiveness transpires and reconciliation and relationships come, come back together. Scheme the enemy. What was his scheme? To divide and break down and diminish. So we got to discover what is God saying about whatever it is that I've experienced. I think everyone struggles to some degree with who they are. I think everyone has insecurities to some degree. That's just true. The world is bent on making you feel like you are just worthless. You are a loser. You're never going to amount to anything. I heard this years ago. It was just, it was just so fascinating when I heard it and I, I've never, I've never, um, forgot it. This person said, you know, the fact that you're even here is the very evidence of how great you are. The fact that you're alive is the very evidence that you're already great. You're already a somebody. You're already worthy of the love of God. You're worth loving. I thought, what does that mean? And this person went on to say, well, think about it. You ran the race to the egg. You were just, you know, one of 20 to 150 million spermatozoon. That's an individual sperm. And you're always in the range of 20 to 150 million of those. You ran your race for the egg with all of those others. And you won. You got to the egg first. And you were conceived and you were born a winner. You're already, it's like, you know what? Doesn't matter what anyone ever says to you. It's like, no, I already won. The greatest event of life itself. I'm here. I won. If you want to retire at that point, you retire a winner the rest of your life. But that changed me. It helped me to understand not only the value of life, the sacredness of life, but each and every person, each and every person is remarkably worth loving. So next time someone says you're a loser, you just remind him, you came in first place and that's why you're here today. So Abraham, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and talk about Abraham, the father of faith. And we'll pick this up next week too. But I want to look at him because he is the father of faith. He's the paradigm for, for how you employ faith in a battle and struggle for your promised land. So in Romans chapter 4, we'll start in verse uh, 17. It says, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you in the presence of him who believed, whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Remember the story of Abraham? God calls him out of Ur, says, follow me. I'm going to show you great things. I'm going to do great things. I'm going to be your God. And through you, I'm going to have my people. And Abraham goes out on this journey, you know, with Sarah and a few others. 
and they're all excited and God's going to do all these things and he even speaks to Abraham says Abraham I'm going to make you the father of many nations takes him out and says look at the stars you know and I know we can't see those in our cities because of all the light but if you've ever been to the mountains and uh and it's dark right the amount of stars you can see is just overwhelming he takes them out and says see all those stars they're innumerable and that's how many descendants i'm going to bring from you yeah and how does the story go years and years and years go by and now they're past their childbearing years sarah is post-menopause by decades Abraham has no Viagra. They called it, what did they call it in the ancient world? Mandrakes. That was the natural Viagra back then. So anyway, they got problems. And you know Abraham saying, you know, what is this all about? I mean, the chances of us having a child are like nil. I mean, there's just no way. And yet God has changed my name to father of many nations. How is that even possible? It goes against the grain. It goes against everything that's rational and logical, yet that is the nature of faith. If God said it, you can bank on that. You can believe that. And when there's hope against hope, it doesn't matter. It will see you through. You will gain the prize. If you stay the course, faith is the way that we gain control over a world that's falling apart all around us. It's our faith that overcomes the world, if you will. And so Abraham had to believe God in the face of so many things that said, that's a joke. You didn't hear God. You missed it. That's just you. Give it up. Give it up. You're not going to be a father of many nations. Anyone that told him that he was not going to be the father of many nations cursed him. That's what it means to curse. It means to say something that diminishes that person's potential. So for those that said, Abraham, give it up, that was like the enemy speaking through them. Abraham had to decide, am I going to believe that? Am I going to embrace that? Or am I going to believe what God said against all things? That's why he's called the father of faith. Imagine that, Sarah, calling him to dinner. He's out there with all his buddies. Father of many nations. Dinner, dinner, father of many nations. Dinner time. They're like, yeah, he doesn't even have one kid. Yeah, right, Sarah. He, Keep that one up, right? So I'm sure that he and Sarah battled many, many discouraging seasons in their pursuit of God. But it says that he believed God and he knew that God could do everything, including raising the dead. That the God he served is the God that calls into existence things that do not exist. That somehow God would be able to bring about descendants even though he and Sarah were dead in their reproductive capabilities. That's faith. That's faith. Verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed. That means, that means from one curse to another, 
from one disappointment to another, from, from one roadblock to another, he refused to give up. He just said, no, I am not giving up. I don't care what happens. I don't care what anyone says. I am going to believe God for what he spoke to me. And so he believed against all hope that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. And here's the word of the Lord. So shall your descendants be. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is learning to understand God's words, God's promises, the way God thinks, and lining up with that and speaking that, believing it, speaking it, and walking in it, even though it looks completely the opposite in your circumstances. You don't bow to your circumstances. You don't bow to the curse. You cast it to the ground. You keep the word of the Lord in front of you, and that's going to be your mainstay to bring you through whatever you are facing. It's a war. It's a fight. And sometimes there's friendly fire. We've got to move beyond that. And it takes faith to do that. And it's through that faith that we gain our perspectives and we receive healing and we're able to move our mountains. So we'll pick this up next week. Um, we're out of time, and so I want to go ahead and transition and just encourage you to take whatever you're facing in your life, uh, whatever hurts you still have that are embedded in your memories and, and, and come up and are triggered from time to time. Get alone with Jesus. Invite him into your memories. Ask him where he was. Ask him for his perspective. Get his word on that matter. And then put your faith in it and experience your healing and your liberty from the things that hold you back. Pastor Don, please come up here. I just think it's really important as parents that we can empower our kids and help their identity. And a lot of times as parents, we can actually curse our kids and we can diminish them. One of the things as parents is we have to bless our kids. The things that we say are so important. And if we, um, you know, as we're disciplining and stuff, is when we end up cursing our kids, we have to go back and actually apologize and get that right. Because the power of our words bring life. And it's so important as parents to bring life to our children. We're supposed to shoot them as arrows, strong arrows out into the world. But how can we shoot them out into the world when we're cursing them? So I just implore you to bring blessing to your kids instead of cursing your kids. Thanks, Don. Um, And I want to add on to that. Um, As we talk about this, it's a word-based universe. He spoke the word and everything came into experience or into into being. It's it's word-based. That's why this warfare is word-based. You know, the power of life and death are in the tongue. To curse means to diminish life. To bless means to empower life. And we do that through our words. So even, even when we discipline, we had some good modeling for, from our pastors early on. And they used to always say, you know what? Uh, always separate your kid's identity from their behavior. Always let them know, hey, you're a child of God. We love you. That'll never change. But I got to spank you now because I love you for the behavior. Because that's not who you are. 
And, and so we had to learn to do that as parents, you know. And so, so we did, and we did better and better. I cannot tell you how many times that I would have to talk with my sweet little Jessica, who is perfect and never did anything wrong. No. So anyway, Jessica, growing up, uh, I, I don't know how many times I would, you know, speak to her and address behavior. Uh, but I'm a man, and I'm not very sensitive, and I didn't have that model for me. So I would bring some discipline to her, and she'd, you know, be all teared up, and she'd go upstairs to her room, and then Dom would come in and say, uh, now that she's gone, I'd like to say some things to you. And, and she says, and, and I, I appreciate you wanting to discipline uh, Jessica, but, but you were too harsh, and you were not aware of how that was already overwhelming, and that's why she's up in her room crying. And you need to go up and apologize to her now. I'm like, what? You know? Yeah, I'd go up and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry. I was too harsh. I could have done that better. I'll do that better next time. But I had to learn too. We grow into these things. So I want to encourage you, as Don has uh, brought to our attention, I want to encourage us as parents to be careful in what we're saying to our kids. Spouses, be careful how you what you say to each other, right? People in places of authority, coaches, teachers, and so forth, you have a lot of influence over, over, over kids. They just look to you almost like, like you're like everything. So what you say is going to have a big impact on them. I'll tell you what, a nun, when I was in school graduating, and, and when I was a senior, I was really, you know, I, and me and Don, we, we made this agreement. I know I'm over time, sorry. We made this agreement. Let's not tell our kids how bad we did in school because they might use it as an excuse you know you're going to address the, the the report card they're like yeah well you were worse yeah so we say, okay we'll, we'll just not tell them we're not going to lie and say that we were a students we're just going to be silent and not say anything about that you know and 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 so you know we didn't do that now i don't know where i was going with that where, what was before that the nun yeah so here i am senior high school average grades you know i'm getting just basically c's once in a while, a D, you know, mostly C's. And I'm in this performance-based learning program. It was the only kind in the nation. We were the pilot school for it. And it was kind of like, you know, you just kind of teach yourself. It was, a it was a great experience, you know. But anyway, we're all basically flunked out of our high school. Don't tell anyone, though. Anyway, this nun sits around in a, it was our a week before graduation, she says, I want everyone to sit in a big circle. She made a big circle, and she says, and I just want to speak to all of you because this is it. After this week, I'll probably not see you again, and so I want to say some things to you uh, since I've had you in my class for a couple of years and uh, just kind of have this nice closure, you know? So she's going around the group, and I'm feeling like it's the report card time instead of it's coming from the nun instead of my dad. So I'm thinking, oh, no, no. But she was doing pretty good going around the group, and she was saying some pretty positive things. And I'm thinking, well, maybe she'll say some positive things about me, you know. Sure enough, she comes around to me, and she says, Mark, I just want to say to you, you have such a remarkable spirit. You have so much life in you. You have all this energy, you know. It's down there. You try to hide it, but I see it. I see it. And she says, and I want to say something to you. She says, young man, you're going to be a big influence. Wherever you go, you're going to touch a lot of lives. You're going to speak to a lot of people, and you're going to impart a lot, and you're going to touch a lot of lives. And I'm thinking to myself, no way. No, are you serious? I think, could I do that? Could I really be that? You know? Yeah, but, you know, my face, the way I was looking, was like, yeah, sure, I, I know. You know. But deep down, I was like, no way, you know? But those words had such a big impact on me. They came to me over and over at different times 
just strengthening, strengthening me, empowering me at different times. And I want to encourage us, we can shape everyone around us in ways that put them on trajectories of blessing. And it's worth it. It's worth it. People have done it for us. Let's make sure we do it with those around us. Amen? Shabbat Shalom. Please rise for the Aaronic benediction.